Welcome to another episode of Israel Tech. I have here with me the founder, or co-founder and CEO, Rami Reshef. Rami, thank you. Thank you. So Yohan. we're over here at your offices at GenCell and I actually got a tour of the place and it's really fascinating what's going on. The, um, just, it's insane, by the way. I feel like I'm in like a, some crazy plant. It's a lunar part. Yeah, it's a lunar part. It's a great way of saying it. Yeah. I, I keep getting lost, even just in the offices upstairs. I get coffee and I don't even know where I am. So I was saying this is an amazing compound to play laser tag in. Anyway, so tell us a little about kind so of maybe like, I tell you a small thing about this lunar park. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have here around 150 employees. Among uh -huh. them, we have more than 20 PhDs. 20 PhDs. Yeah, in the field of chemistry, physics, math. Wow. Very smart people. Yeah. There are some days that I wake up in the morning and I'm not sure that I belong to this company. They're yeah, well, so smart, you know. Well, let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We'll uncover That's that in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so, first off, the 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 offices are really something else tell me like gencell right how did it came to be you've been the co-founder for since 2011 right so a very long time how did you guys grow it's, it's so hard to break into something that's so deep in technology and high tech and energy and in the industry there's rapid changes and the demand change and one day people talk about hydrogen and they talk about uh, solar then they talk about wind and uh, you know nuclear fusion nuclear 4.0 so I feel like there are different trends all the time. Yeah. How do you know that with GenCell, maybe you can tell us about what, of course, what GenCell does, and that the technology you know is the right solution, one of the right solutions for the long term? So the honest answer is you didn't. We didn't. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but basically when we founded the company, we are three co-founders, we realized that the, the challenge that the world is facing about starting with global warming and uh, lack of energy and and uh, this all these uh, what's uh, societies and economics that are staying behind because the grid is not cannot keep up with all, all the demand. We realize that it's so big that even if it will take us two or three decades, still there will be room for solution for this uh, this type of challenges. And uh, since hydrogen, uh, uh, I would say, was here for the last 150 years we felt that it might be that if we can crack the two main challenges of this industry, that basically simple challenges, like every, every other business, CapEx and OPEX. So if we can deal with all these, these two main challenges, by the way, that the world faced these issues for the, the last 100 years, we say this small company from Petah Tikva could bring the answer to the world. And this is what we did from day one. We decided that we've been, we started with a small group of three people. Uh, after a couple of months, we've been uh, 20 people. While we, rec recruited, we recruited the best scientists in the world. People who worked for NASA and the Russian space programs and submarine. Which we brought them over and we gave them this mission. We need to, to crack these main challenges of, the, of what we call the hydrogen industry. The, the, the capital, the, cap, the capex, and the OPEX, and uh, I would say in the next, the last, the next three, four years, we came out with, I would say, our first patents in the field of how we can solving the issue of uh, capital expenditure and the operational cost. And basically, I would say, uh, the ability to focus on the main challenges from the beginning, this is what brought us. Uh, what are, what are the main challenges when it comes to hydrogen? And uh, yeah. Basically, I would say every, uh, 
Electrochemistry fuel cell. This is an electrochemistry process that actually combined between the ions of hydrogen and oxygen required noble metal catalyst. What does it mean, noble metal? It's a catalyst that, that costs more than gold. Okay, so, so I'll give you just uh, an example. Yeah, don't tell my wife. No. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't tell that to my wife. So. <laughs> But basically, it's so expensive, it's, uh, it's, met it's metals like uh, platinum, palladium, that could be double, triple, or four times the cost of gold. Right. Okay, so, so just imagine that in every single cell, you need to have a gold. This is, this is one issue. This is one challenge that you need to overcome. And we came out with a new catalyst that basically re removed all the non-Nobel uh, uh, all the Nobel catalyst, all the Nobel catalyst. We removed the Nobel catalyst, uh, and actually we replaced um, uh, metals such platinum and palladium with nickel. Just gave you which the is cheap, super cheap. So how? What is it about the properties of nickel that it was able to replace it that the properties of other elements couldn't? So it's not only a matter of properties, it's a matter of the formula. What is the formula that you combine uh, the, the nickel and the way that you're going to get the same results that you have uh, uh, a noble metal uh, results, or reaction is like you know, a noble metal. And I would say this is due to a very, very unique process that we have developed here. It's not only on the, I would say, uh, it's not only the development that we came out in the, in the lab, it's also the ability to scale it up so, because nowadays, every single unit that left uh, Jensen, every product left Jensen, it's a noble metal, uh, no noble metal catalyst, with no noble, noble metal catalyst. And this is a, a huge, huge advantage uh, for us. On the other hand, the operational costs, uh, you know, hydrogen is the fuel of the future, but you cannot find it in every street corner, correct? And the main reason for that is that it's super expensive to extract hydrogen from water and to transport it. Now, you say hydrogen is the future. I hear people say nuclear is the future. I hear people say solar is the future. Um, what is there? I mean, I'm sure there are many solutions. Everything's a part of the future. Do you believe that hydrogen is a bigger part of the future of energy than, let's say, nuclear, solar, or other forms of energy, or even coal, maybe? Yeah. I believe that everything that is green is part of the future. And I think, and I think that there's a room for any kind of a technology that can deliver green energy. Definitely. But, it, but I'm sure there are ones that are less efficient and not as good. So there's not room for everything, right? Like, like I feel a lot of people have just written off windmills when I speak to a lot of green tech people. Yeah. They're expensive. They kill an insane amount of birds. They're ugly in the landscape. You know, they, they you need to rely on wind. Yes, but they become super efficient if you are, uh, if. if you if you find the missing part of that. What is the missing part is the ability to store this, the excess energy that they are generating. During the very winter. And we'll and we'll deal that with that in a second. But if we'll take for for example uh, solar. Solar right. is great, cheap, it's green, but it's at the mercy of mother nature. If you don't have sun, you don't have solar. Correct. But it's good, it's great. So if you can build, I would say, a consortium of different technologies that can supplement one each other, right. you have the right solution. So hydrogen, the beauty with hydrogen is that, it's, I would say it's the beauty, beauty and the curse. The beauty is that you have hydrogen in every drop of water, right. but the curse is that it's super expensive to extract it from, from the water. So if you have a way 
how to enjoy for what the, the nature, uh, Mother Nature is giving you, then you have the formula, okay? And, and what Mother Nature is giving us? It's sun, it's green, correct? Water, running water is green, and air. What do you have in the air? Nitrogen. What do you have in the water? Hydrogen. So if you can, I would say, merge the hydrogen and the nitrogen, then you're, you're gonna get the ultimate, in my opinion, the ultimate energy storage device. We call it uh, NH3, ammonia. So you talked about windmill. This is the perfect way how these offshore windmills, okay, that can generate megawatts of energy can be stored in liquid and transport to the places that the windmill uh, uh, do not reach. So this is why I'm saying that every technology has a room, okay? Some of them have a bigger room, some of them have a smaller place in that, but the combination between them should give us Let's say us, it's humanity. Give humanity the ability to produce green energy and, and make it available wherever it's needed. It's not only, I would say, in super developed economies. It's super important in developing economies where the grid is not there and they need to do a quantum leap, like, like phones, you know, they don't have landlines. They have immediately, the, they had this quantum leap to cellular. The same, same thing, I think with energy, if you looked on Africa, Central America, and many, many places around the world that people lack of energy. There's more, almost one billion people today. You will be, this is amazing. Almost one billion people lack proper energy for their basic economical development needs for health, for education, for transportation. They do not have that. And they will never have it because nobody will invest billions and billions of building new infrastructure and grid. So this is why I believe that every, almost every, uh, would say, single technology that can present energy efficiency, some basic uh, uh, economical, uh, I would say, economical uh, facts that can drive this this uh, this energy to the market could find the the, pla the, the place in this uh, puzzle. Back to gen cell technology. Yeah. So as you're saying, everything there, there's room for everything. Yeah. Hydrogen is the future, but it's all the future in, in some way. Um, so what makes hydrogen unique? Because people don't really hear about hydrogen energy so much. Um, if for some reason, I think to the end consumer, it's, it's not as visual, obviously, as, um, as solar or uh, wind, et cetera. So w tell us maybe a little about what hydrogen power is, why you think it's the future, why would it will be powering our energy in generations to come? So maybe we'll, we'll let's go back 60, 70 years ago when uh, President Kennedy asked uh, NASA to reach the moon. Right. So they look for a technology that can give energy, heat, and water to the astronauts. Right. But it was a long journey. So they looked on uh, batteries. Uh, batteries become it's, it's not so efficient for this long journey. Because, you know, but it's good. If you need it for a couple of hours, maybe days, it's great. But if you need it for a couple of weeks, most likely you need some kind of uh, generation system. So you cannot generate, you cannot use, I would say, fossil fuel, diesel, or others in the, uh, in the spaceship. So the, then they found in, uh, this kind of, uh, uh, this type of technology, basically in Oxford University in, in, uh, in UK. And then they built the first fuel cell that actually due to this uh, fuel cell, uh, Apollo landed on moon. Okay? But it was super expensive. 
because hydrogen was liquid, and as, as we said before, everything was based on noble metal, super, super, uh, super expensive. But what was the uniqueness? The uniqueness that you can have a tank of liquid fuel, in that case it's hydrogen, that is no emission, it's not emitting anything except water, drop of water like the, from the air condition, and you can put it in, in closed uh, spaceship, and you can drive to the to the, through the space to the moon. So this is the beauty about hydrogen. It it's, uh, has a strong energy density, and it's, it's no emission at all. Okay, so it's great. So if all of us, we, and I think that as, as entrepreneurs, as, uh, as uh, family people, we, are, we have our responsibility on Mother Nature, because we need to try to leave this uh, Earth to our next generation in a good uh, condition. So we need to fight global warming. In order to fight global warming, you need to reduce CO2 emission. In order to reduce CO2 emission, you need to step away from fossil fuel. Simple as that. So one of the fuel, and is, it is a fuel, okay, uh, in the shape of gas or, or liquid, that can generate 100% of green power, it's hydrogen. Yes, it's still expensive. Yes, you cannot find it everywhere, but it's there. Uh, and nowadays you, you can hear uh, from Airbus, that by 2030 they're aiming to have um, uh, airplane based on hydrogen. Alstom have uh, trains that already run on hydrogen. Toyota, Honda with uh, Toyota with Mirai, Honda with Clarity, the, the, they already have cars run on hydrogen. And the main reason for that is that hydrogen in many aspects behave like what's called the traditional fuel. Because when you're taking your car to the gas station, in three to five minutes you leave it. You leave the gas station, you have another 300, 400, 500 kilometers that you're taking your electrical car. In order to charge your electrical car, if you want to charge 30, 40, 50 kilowatts, you need to spend around 45 minutes right there. High fast DC charging station. So if you, if, you take, if you take your hydrogen car, for example, your Toyota's Mirai or Honda Clarity, it's going to take you three minutes. So basically, your behavior will be similar to the same behavior that, that you, you have with your fossil fuel car. Yeah, but the good news with electric, you can charge it at home, right? That's kind of the perk is that you charge it every night. Yes, but if you want to drive right now from here to Elat. Right, okay. You have an issue. Okay, Not so, so anyway. but as, you, as we said before, there's a room for everything. So right. there's a room for electrical car, but definitely a room for, for hydrogen. Mainly hydrogen will go for what we call heavy transportation. Right. Public transportation that you need to trucks. be on the ride, buses, trucks, uh, trains. Uh, hopefully in the future we'll be able to see also airplanes run on hydrogen. Uh, because, because the fuel itself, the way that you consume the fuel, you, do, you don't leave any marks. Right. And this is beautiful. Right, and with the electric, you do because it just needs a power plant to do it, right? Correct. So even if you and even if you are not emitting with your car on the roads, this being where how where's energy coming from? Correct. So unless the energy comes from solar or wind, right, or nuclear, right. So there's no, I would say, ultimate and perfect solution, but basically, I would think our challenge is to find the best combination or the best formula to meet the challenge of or say, the needs of society without leaving a lot of CO2 marks behind right. us. Awesome. So uh, let's get back more into GenCell in a yeah. bit. But let's kind of go back to from uh, kind of like where your career started. You're one of the older CEOs in tech. 
Um, so maybe you can tell us kind of like what it was like in the earlier days and kind of how have you built up your career and how have you seen since when you started um, in Israeli technology and in the industry to where it is now, a lot has changed. Yes. Uh, in the tech world in general, not to mention in Israel, I went from a third, you've watched it go from a third world country to a first world country. Um, so I think you have a unique uh, perspective. Maybe you can speak to kind of like what it was, you know, 40, 30, 40 years ago, 30 yeah. years ago, and, and how, are you, how we're getting here now. Yeah, I will, but you know, uh, uh, usually to my kids, I'm telling them that uh, the big difference between what, ha- what was then to today is the speed. The speed. Speed. And, uh, the look, drug? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, go ahead. Right, they say, well, what do you mean speed? I'm saying, you know what? I still remember the day that I had my first fax machine. Wow. And then I still remember the day when we had our first email connection. Uh-huh. With I this, remember that. With uh, this uh, that. noise. Bzzz. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I would say that uh, the progress of the high-tech environment or the high-tech industry in Israel and around the world, it's due to the fact that a lot of new technologies come together. And uh, But one thing is, is common to all of, all of this, uh, what I would say 30 years ago and today, is the ability to identify and recognize a people, smart people, uh, uh, people that really believe with the mission that, uh, that the company has and would like to make a change. Uh, I would say the big, big, big thing that uh, high-tech industry bring to the market is that uh, I would say it's a platform for every people in that company to leave his mark on the future. Because if you go to regular, let's put it regular company, regular industry, you know, that you are producing something that it's more of the same, it's okay, there's room to that. But um, we as entrepreneurs, all the time we try to identify what, what we call it seed idea, addressing potential big problems. Most of the time you don't know if it will solve it or not. This is the honest uh, answer. And then you you decided to jump to the pool. I have a nice analogy to say that it's like you're standing on the, the roof of the Hilton, Hilton Hotel and you see below you an empty pool and you decide to jump and you pray that while you are jumping, the water will fill in the, uh, the, the pool. So I would say this is the nature of being an entrepreneur in the, in the high-tech industry. And it's okay from time to time to suffer a failure, it's part of it. And what I learned in my life is that uh, people who failed, they came with a better, I would say, experience and knowledge for the second second turn. That's good news for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I failed too, so it's okay, it's part of that. <laughs> so it might be that I'm convinced myself. Huh? Right, that's what we, like. we read, that's what we tell ourselves afterwards. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is the industry, this is the people, there's a lot of, uh, uh, Israel, it's a, for one hand, it's a small country, but also it's a big country. When I say it's small because you know almost everyone, Yeah. it's big because when you are traveling either in uh, India, Mexico City, or New York, always you find someone from the industry, right. from the, uh, from the, the ecosystem. Right. And, uh, and, uh, and definitely Army has, uh, I would say, uh, graduation from the army and the army is the way that the army is shaping the the I would say the spirit of the people you know I know that there's a lot of stories of people who's coming from uh, the top intelligence uh, and and, uh, and cyber units uh, 
bring, uh, building great companies, it's true. But I think that the best thing that the army is bringing is shaping the, the spirit of the people that everything can be done. Okay, and you should not uh, be afraid from a failure. And uh, as, as, as much as challenges, you know, in the company, you see that is matter, the challenge is more and more aggressive and the target more and more aggressive. People has a better or stronger drive trying to reach this, uh, these targets. There's a lot of that. So you told me earlier you were in the Air Force, right? Um, and then you're saying, so how did you, um, did the Army shape who you are to get you into technology? Like, the, what's your story? Because when you graduated from the Army, the Army wasn't nearly as developed in technology as it yeah. was now, right? Um, you, you told me your age, I don't know if I can say it, but um, you said it's been many, many decades since you left. So uh, obviously a lot has changed. What was it like then and how has your c career progressed as not just technology has progressed, but the Israeli tech community and the culture yeah. and the, the ecosystem has changed? How have you changed and adapt? Because it's very hard to adapt with such radical transformation from literally almost no technology, right? <laughs> to, yeah. I mean, compared it to today, you'd say it's like no technology. To the technology there is today, it's massive changes, right? So what have you seen and how have you been able to adapt? How has that fed you in your career? So I think it's, it's a matter of taking the, the right turn. You know, in, in, in our life, we have many junctions. Uh, sometimes you think right, straight, left. And I was lucky when I was relatively young. You know, I, I, I started as a c cinema photographer. I'm a producer and, and director. Uh -huh. and, but uh, during this career, I had the privilege to meet a person that influenced my life. And I would say that many, many good things that happened to me it's due to his blessing. And this is one of the uh, founders of the Israeli tech industry, Mr. Benny Landa. Uh, Mr. Landa is the one who uh, invented digital printing. Uh, he changed, he transformed in, uh, industry after 500 years that it was a tri uh, sort of offset or traditional one. He converted to digital. And I had the right to work with him to escort him and to see how he projecting very, very far small country, company from Rehovot to change one of the biggest industries in the world. And I'm talking to you about 30 years ago, 30, 35 years ago, okay? And, and the way that he led the company and the people, I think that I learned a lot from him. And I was so lucky in my life that uh, when I, I founded my first company and I offered him to join, he joined. When I founded my second company and also Gensel, he joined the companies as an investor. And uh, in many aspects, he was my guru. So I found myself here, also in Gensel, that I'm doing things that even without thinking on them, I know that I saw the thing 30, 35 years Ago, so I was lucky. I believe that uh, many, many entrepreneurs in the country itself that uh, had the chance to learn from the founding founders, founders of uh, of the Israeli high-tech uh, industry, and evolving along the along the time. So it's a matter of taking the right turn. Maybe. So you just so just you by being connected to him has really opened the opportunities, the doors, and the 
education for you. Yes. So if, what advice would you give to a younger person now that wants to get into tech? Um, what would you tell them? I'm sure things have changed. You can't say, pray for luck. You know, Rami got lucky, maybe. I think I want to give him a few tips. One of them is you need to work very, very hard. Right. Nothing comes for free. You need to be ready to face failures. It's part of the of the of the of the lesson. It's part of the the way that you will be better and better. And last but not least, I will tell them you need to you should not fear from aggressive targets. And you should believe in yourself that you can change the world. Simple as that. You know, I, I have a, we have a sentence here in the, in the company who say, you know, most of the people in the world do not know where it is well, and, and, and among that, nobody knows where is Petah Tikva. And hey. Petah Tikva, it's not the capital of the world. It's even not the capital of Israel. Right. Okay, but you have the but right. It's the capital of Gensel. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> But I'm telling listen, but you have the right from Petah Tikva trying to change the world, make the world better uh -huh. for people in Africa. Uh -huh. but, but the name Petah Tikva, it's actually very appropriate. You know what? I didn't, I didn't thought about it. It's it's make develop it's hope, the hope yes, development, yeah, right? Yeah, nice. So, yeah, yeah. You can use that one. <laughs> so, that, that, by the way, so I, I often tell people that too. It's like, you know, one is obviously don't limit what you're thinking, anything yeah. really is possible. And kind of like just, just dive in, work really hard, set the goals big and high, and keep making progress. Yeah. And you'll find yourself making suddenly, wow, like what you've been able to grow and see. And I've seen that from all the people I've been interviewing so far for Israel Tech and people I've worked with in my marketing company, Wadi, that you see that regularly. Is that it's just kind of, there's a sense of like blind faith, partly. Um, and in a sense of trust, yes. kind of in your community, your network, in, in yeah. God, in your friends and people you used to work with, that it will work out. Some connection from the past will come back to the present. And there's just a sense of like, oh yeah, it's just going to work. Yeah, it's like, it's like a spaghetti. Uh -huh. It's like one bowl of spaghetti. Uh -huh. But the secret sauce of, spaghetti, of this spaghetti, I would say it's a trust. You use the word trust. I think this is super important because if you have trust between you and your team, your and your uh, investors and boards, you can face any challenge. Right. This, this is the most important. And what I learned in my life, and I raised capital a couple of times, is that most of the time, the decision that investor, uh, investors are doing, it's not, a, it's not about the technology. It's not even about the market. They want to trust the people. Yeah. And if they trust you, and, 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 and you, they will feel that you can lead them in the dark, not in the sunny day. Sunny day, it's easy. It's, 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 it's easy for everyone. Yeah. In, in, in a muddy day, in a dark day, in a rainy day, they will put their money on you. Mm -hmm. and, and what does it mean that they put their money on you? They are trusting you. That's well, it. Well, and well, then well, you well, need to pay back. With the, we need to justify this trust. Right, right. Yeah. You, you need it. Right. Yeah. So I mean, this is the spaghetti. trust again, yeah. This or is a, more trust in the future. That's the cycle. Yeah, this is the spaghetti because right. you are starting a journey right now, and then you can find yourself with the same guy 20, 30, right, 40 right. years ago. Uh -huh. This is this is a uh -huh. unique journey. So you're talking about you've raised funding many times, yeah. but can you talk about your experience of the different stages of funding um, that you've done? Um, so maybe you can if you can yes. speak to that. I'd like to hear. Because the sense of the relationships 
that you need to build, let's say, with VCs or partners or strategic this external uh, from GenCell. Um, it's, it's in a sense, it's kind of it's not like they have their own different journey and pace because they're in a different industry. At the same time, how do you develop a relationship with a strategist, a partner, or a VC, as an example, to not just give you what you need to support, but you can also give them what they're looking for in profits. And if you can discuss what it's like to earn and, um, and build that relationship to a point where they trust you to become a partner, yeah. and what you should look for in that partnership there, and how you maintain and grow it from there. Yeah. It's a... It's a it's a big question, Yoel. I'm not sure that I have the ultimate answer, but I tried to share from my experience. Okay, I, I did several of times A round, B round, C round. It's always difficult. Okay, uh, every stage has uh, has difficult difficulties. It's uh, every time a challenge. You know, it's uh, so many times. Uh, uh, you know, there were so many times that I was day before the paycheck. And I didn't know how I'm gonna pay two more the paycheck, and uh -huh. uh, still, uh, and I, and I said already midnight. Okay, I don't know what I'm gonna do tomorrow morning. And uh -huh. I went to sleep. And my wife, she asked me, "How you can sleep when tomorrow you need to pay uh, pay salaries and don't you don't have money?" Uh -huh. So uh, my answer was always, "I will go to sleep, and in the morning I'll find the solution." Ah, uh -huh. so that's, what that's that, faith. This is faith. Emuna. Yes, this is Muna. This is you need. To have a strong faith that it will be okay. You need to have a strong faith that you are doing the right thing and protective angels will meet you right. here and there. Right. And there are protective angels. Right. Okay, there are protective angels that they will support you in a difficult moment, as we said, if you have the trust and uh, believe in you, and uh, etc. But I would say that every stage has, a, a, I would say, different challenges. Uh, while in the early stages, always you can push the vision. It's, uh, from one hand, it's, uh, it's easy, I would say, to push the vision and try to ignite people's imagination that they can be part of this big vision. But most of the, investor, the investors, uh, do know how, they know how to uh, also realize risks. And uh, some of them will jump in, some, some of them not. It's, it's okay, it's part of, it's part of the game. When the company become more mature, now vision still has place, always has place, but now you need performance. KPIs bec becomes uh, right now the, I would say, the key vectors for you to, to raise capital. Uh, so if, I would say, early stages, always it's uh, VCs and uh, angels, uh, etc. when you become, uh, I would say, a corporate, a corporate that you become in the, in the uh, later stages. Now, public money, it's an option. This is a different ball game, totally different ball game. Uh, it's a different relationship with the widow market. Uh, but I would say every stage has this uniqueness that you need to be, you need, should be agile enough as a leader to adjust yourself to the terms and conditions, like terms and TNC in the, in the contract. They say you have terms and conditions with this uh, relationship. But what I learned, that the most important thing is transparency. You have good time and you have bad time. You have what? Good you times, good bad times? Time, good times, yeah. bad times. And you need to be very transparent with your, your, your investors, with your employees, with your partners. Because only then you can overcome the bad times. Yeah. So I would say uh, there's... Uh, 
this spaghetti pot, okay, with, uh, that you need to have a lot of faith, uh -huh. you need a lot of trust, and 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 and, and I think that you need to to be strong enough to overcome a lot of dark moments. And there are a lot of dark moments. You know, a lot of people say high tech. Can you tell me about? Can you talk about the dark moments? And so we can better understand what kind of strength is needed because people say strong enough. Yeah. And of course there's, you know, there's physically, there's morally, there's spiritually, there's so many ways, but maybe you can walk us through some of these dark moments and what kind of strength you leaned on and maybe other people that helped you grow through those dark moments and made you better than before. I'll try to give you some examples, okay? But uh, let's say uh, one of them, it's very simple, financially. Right. You run out of your cash and you have 50, 60, 70 employees. Uh-huh. Uh, you need to pay rent, and, and you don't have money. And uh, and your investor right now, you caught them in a corner. They, they have uh, the lack of uh, liquidity. Although that they want to support you, they cannot support you. And you are a startup. You're going to the banks. The banks say, "Oh, I can. Of course, I can help you, but uh, you need to place uh, collateral. But right. you don't have collateral, so it's a it's a closed circle. You know. Yeah, so it's 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 catch twenty two. It's it's a lot. Another dark moment is that you are uh, signing a contract with a big name, huge name. And this big name, you see the top management of this big enterprise coming to you, this small company from Petah Tikva, the city of Hobbes, and <laughs> say, <laughs> say, okay, dear, I like you, I like you, I like your technology, let's, let's do it, let's do it together. And you know, uh, he is a carrier, he's moving very, very slow, you are a speedboat. And uh, whatever it takes you a second, it takes him a month. So it's so it's frustrating. It's frustrating because you, as as a, as a startup, you want right now to promote your success, and you want to build on this success. Uh, I would say tangible KPIs like uh, revenue and uh, installation and PR, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And to, it's a different two two different clocks. Okay, this is a dark moment because right now you see that the gap is getting larger and larger and larger. And while you ex you build expectation to yourself, to your team, to your shareholders, to your investor, etc., etc., while this carrier is moving in his uh, its uh, speed, and it's totally not your speed. So, and many many other uh, dark moment, but uh, uh, related to your question, you how you can overcome them? That you cannot do it by yourself. You need to surround yourself with strong, talented, experienced people. I would say only strong management, there's no strong leader, only strong management can overcome these dark moments and take the company to a safe shore. Can you talk about that? Because people talk about there's a lack of leadership, uh, strong leaders, and you know this, it's rare. Um, strong managers are easier to come by, and generally by definition there's a leader, and then they have several managers under them, and probably even then middle yeah. management. Why is management, in your opinion, more important to get you through that than leadership? Is it because they control the day to day of what everyone else does, and in a sense help focus and work on each system in detail and depth? Is that what they're able to do? Why management is more important in leadership when it comes to coming over hurt coming over these hurdles? I think that day to day. This is obvious. You, know, you, you should recruit 
small talented people that that this is what what you're expecting to them to do their day-to-day job this is this is why you open them but strong management to me this will be people that you as a leader a leader is a leader is a leader is always alone it doesn't matter, it could be a CEO, a prime minister, it doesn't matter, he's always alone, because the entire responsibility is, uh, is on his shoulders. So, strong management means that I can come in the morning and catch my CFO or COO or CEO and say, listen, what, what, what do you think about this and this? And he has the strength to give me a different perspective or even different direction that, than the direction that I initiated days before. So he's, he's reflecting, reflecting you, the, uh, it's like they are like a mirror for you. So, so I would say they, can, they, they minimize the level of mistakes that you are doing, and in many, many aspects also they give you the confidence that you are not alone. Right. And, and there's many battles uh, companies need to do, management need to do, and especially leaders, CEO, chairman need to do. It's uh, and with these types of battles, you need to know that uh, you know. I have a sentence to have people in different places in the world. It's, I have one person in in the Nordics, and his name is Jan. And, and from time to time, I told him, "Listen, Jan, although that you are alone in the front, remember the entire Roman army behind you. Right. But we are in Petar Tikva, right? Or in Berlin." <laughs> So it's super important that you have this strong group of people around you that you can consult with you, that they can reflect to you the reality. Sometimes you as a leader, you do not see the reality as it is because there's many, many, many filters. And you need someone that will show you the reality and helping you to take the right uh, decision. This is why I believe that the most important, uh, I would say, feature, or, or, or yes, feature in, in the way that good leader could run his company, his ability to build a very strong and independent uh, management. Uh-huh. So uh, go back to your VCs for a minute. Do you want to talk about your partners and how much you've raised and, who, and how they've helped you? Um, it would be interesting just to hear you talk about that specifically. Yeah. So maybe I'll start from the, the early days. Uh, when we started, uh, just a little, it wasn't a typical, I would say, startup. Because a startup, usually, you know, the story of people, three, two, three founders sitting in a coffee house with their laptops and building a, a, a business plan. I call it the, the business plan uh, business plan number three. Why I call it number three? Because always your projection is three times lower. Your, 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 your expansion is three times higher. So it's always, it's a, it's, but it's part of the job. But Jensel was an, uh, I would say, uh, when we founded Jensel, we had a unique opportunity to, to found a startup company, but was based on acquisition of two veteran companies. One of them is American, one European. Each one of them already uh, uh, dealt with this technology for 10, 15 years. So this is a fundamental technology that you need to invest tens of years until you crack the secrets of this uh, technology. So in the beginning, we, we brought our money. It was a private money. We, we purchased, we, we acquired these two companies. And the key assets of these companies was uh, around 20 employees. Some of them were people who worked for NASA and the Russian uh, space programs. 
So people with a lot of uh, experience, and uh, I'm very also happy to say that almost now after 13 years of the company, some of them also work, still working with, uh, with Gensel. And they are, I would say, the people who are showing the way to the younger generations. It's very nice to see 80 years old scientists with a 30 years old That's PhD. Nice. It's really, 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 really nice. So that was the beginning, and after that, after that, we like any startup. Uh, immediately, we saw that we are short in money. <laughs> it's part of the job. This is funny thing. Suddenly, <laughs> we're out of money. Yeah. And by the way, this is I would say a tip that I'm giving to every CEO that is, is building company or starting. Uh-huh. Start, he needs to know that he, he, about eighty to ninety percent of his time, it's fundraising. Right. Okay. And I think personally that I visited almost every capital in the world on the last uh, 10 or 15 years in order to raise capital. Uh, it's part of the job. Uh, this is why, again, why you need to have a strong management because most of the time that you are on the roads, you need to know that this vehicle is still up and running uh, smoothly. So you need, you need to know that you have a good people behind you that can push the company to meet um, company targets because without meeting company targets you you cannot raise capital so and you raise capital in order to increase or push up the company targets so it's it's a close circle uh, in, in that in that aspect so for me for a couple of years we raised capital in the uh, private market uh, VCs uh, already mentioned the uh, Benny Landa in Landa Venture that uh, was and still major shareholder in uh, in Jensen. I'm super proud of that. And and by 2020, when we have decided that we need to do this jump, take the company from a small startup to more mature company with. Uh, production capabilities, with a global approach, uh, with the ability to serve customers in North America, in Europe, uh, some in, in Asia, and in Japan. And then we, re- we float the company. That also was a very, very interesting uh, process. Uh, for me, it was the first time. So for the first time to be a CEO of a public company, it's totally new ballgame. Sounds depressing, though. Now you have more people to answer to, right? Yes. Isn't it? Isn't it harder? Yeah, but I told you, there's no much? free meal, you know. It's, no, I, uh, it's, it's, it's okay, but it's it's part of it's part of the game. Yeah. If you want to read a book, you need to buy it. True. Right. Okay. So. Okay. So let me. Um, how much is your energy now focused on returning to shareholders now that you're public? Is that do you feel that sometimes you need to sacrifice long-term success? Or that in order to be able to demonstrate profits and maybe distributions? No, I think it's a matter of uh, scale expectation. This is the most important. Uh, market has his expectation. It's okay. And, uh, but I think uh, a company need to, to project a transparent uh, results and expectation. And sometimes, you know, you lose. Sometimes you win. And, uh, and and also as a CEO of the company, uh, uh, you need to deserve, you need to invest time uh, uh, in order to reflect uh, the company vision, company result to your shareholders because they deserved it. They invested their money in you, simply as that. I think it makes sense. But definitely you should not sacrifice the, the, the long-term vision and the mid-term uh, vision. So it's it's... It's a it's a balance. It's like a, a tango. You know, it's one step forward, two step backward. It's you need to 
to make the to find the right balancing uh, between I would say uh, mid expectation, short term expectation, and long term expectation. I must say that I found out that most of the investors that are investing, I would say the institutional uh, investors, they do have a good uh, understanding that the company should uh, look not only on short term, not only what will be in the next quarter. Okay, so so if you know how to explain it, you know how to project what you are doing in order to meet your mid and long term, you will get a respect. And uh, I think this is the most important. And this is, it's a marathon, it's not a sprinter. So it's a marathon. And, uh, and as, as like any marathon, you need to plan your, your run in the way that you'll have enough energy to reach the finish line. Yeah, I heard someone say when it comes to fundraising, it reminds me of that, of, uh, that when you get a good round, people kind of treat it like the battery on their cell phone. That they're using it normally depletes and then it gets to 30% and then you put on battery save mode and then maybe you darken your screen, you close your apps. But you need to have always been in like battery save mode from the first penny you get in and you spend it and everything. And it seems- This, this is the advantage if you've been poor for many, many years. Yeah. So if you've you, been no. lean many, many years, right. then you lean and mean. You say, okay, I have money, but now I need to be okay. very, very careful because you know what does it mean to be without the capital? Exactly. Right. So okay, this would be a really silly comparison. <laughs> Before you came, so I was talking to your marketing team and um, I was talking about how in, in college I've had very low standards, low standards alcohol, low standards cigars, low standards everything, mm. the way I ate. And so I'm able to now still enjoy and appreciate when I have finer things now, but I still know how to drink very, very bad vodka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why like, I still tap into that. Kind of like, because you have this memory. memory. Because I have that, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's ingrained in yeah. me. And, so this is why I think that this lesson of, of, of growing company when you have limited resources, it's super important. Right. Because it's, it's keeping you sharp right? And focus and lean. Uh, and because you don't have the capital, even if you, even if you want, you don't have the money. You just don't have it. You don't. Right. Have, so so it's a good lesson I think to right. everyone. Uh, and then when you become, I'd say, with a more structured organization with a bit more capital, then you you respect the fact that you are in a different condition right now, right. and you are not wasting this 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 opportunity. Right. to materialize this, uh, this, this condition, I would say, to the way that you can present success. Because as, as we said before, it's, you need to reach to the next point in order to allow yourself the opportunity to, to fund yourself for the next, uh, next, next possibility. Yeah, and it, so one of the great things about, most important things about funding is that you're now able to attract the best talent and yeah. engineers, and you're talking about the global PhDs. Yes. So let's talk about how you're able to, once you get the funding, how do you go and you recruit and build and maintain a team that are amongst the best engineers or the best PhDs in the world? So in order to, to recruit the top talents, what I learned, it's not a compensation package. It's one thing. You need to, you need to sell them the dream. Uh -huh. if, if, the, if, if, the, if you sell them the dream and they are with you, all the rest is uh, secondary. People say about Elon Musk's company, that the highest demand engineers want to work at are his companies because he's able to sell vision. I, I, think, I think it's a good example. My, my older, older son is uh, a software engineer. When he graduated from the Technion, 
He told me that he want he he, he wants to work with uh, for Elon Musk yeah. at, at uh, X Space. Awesome. Okay. So when I'm going to ask him why you why why you want to work with uh, with X Space, he said because they are doing things that nobody else did so far. Right. Okay. So so th- that's it. So so if and again if 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 your company it's me too company you are doing the same thing that many other companies so then the compensation package will work. Right. Okay. Right. But if you are trying to do something else like. You know, part of our vision or our slogan is power for humanity. Power for humanity. Okay? Small company from Peter Tikva. But what does it mean, power for humanity? Think about it. People who's coming to work every day, they understand that they have a chance that one day their work that they are doing right now will impact life of many, many people around the world. This is a dream. Mm-hmm. Everybody would like to leave his marks. Right. This is my opinion. Right. No, for sure. Okay. So this the, is the Victor way. Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning. Again, you know, this is the, the, it's the most important thing is you're able to find meaning in your life to yes. contribute to something greater than you and yeah. be able to take kind of that ownership tax. That, that's huge. So after Mensch finding these people, selling them the, the dream, Okay, and having having them part of your dream. This is the secret. It's not your dream, and they are escorting you. Then you need to be one unit. You need to be one team. You need to row together, because if they will row with you, okay. So your dream becomes their dream, and if your dream becomes their dream, they are there. Then you have the top people, and these top people will be with you in good times and bad times, okay. And every company in the world has this, I would say, a wave, okay? So I would say this is, this is the, the, in my opinion, this is the, the, the secret source by recruiting the best uh, people in order to do your, to, to implement your mission. Awesome, so you said you have PhDs from NASA that used yeah. to work on the Russian space program. My first question is, are they Jewish? Like, are they Olim, are they immigrants, or are they here on visas? Most of them, Olim uh, Chadashim. Right. Most of them. Some of them, they are here on uh, what the working visas. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, I would say this was the the group that we founded the company with. Uh, immediately after that, we started to re- recruiting uh, PhDs from Weizmann Institutes, from Technion, from Barilan Universities. Uh, so it's very nice if you walk here, you will see. 80 years old scientists sitting in the same room with someone that is right now 30, 35 years old. They're working together on a project. Mm-hmm. While you understand that this guy that is 80 years old is, is the one that designed the, the energy system of the Mir. The space shuttle, uh, space, space shuttle of uh, the Russian space shuttle. Or someone else that, that he was part of the, uh, of the Apollo mission. Okay, sitting with a few uh, uh, young engineers. So this, I would say, cross-generation reaction, uh, cross-generation... Colonization. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a thing. In my opinion, it's, it's, um, it's allows us to enjoy from all worlds because I would say the veterans, they're coming with these traditional methods of how to take good idea and, and bring it to reality. And the young generation, they know how to accelerate it using all these new technologies such as AI and others. So this is a theme here in Israel. Is that kind of like you were saying, Benny Landau, 
who came, you know, Landa, Landa, sorry, yeah, yeah. Landa came and obviously you were able to be in his shadow and learn from him. And the veteran wants, the teacher wants to teach. The student wants to learn. Yes. The student also aspires to become a teacher. And then for the next generation that I find that there's a lot of this collaboration, not just, of course, between different backgrounds and cultures and things in Israeli technology and, and in Israeli um, civilization as a whole, but intergenerational, I think there's a unique respect of the elders. Um, and also, I think there's um, a unique also, which let's say is common in some Far East cultures, like, you know, Japan, et cetera. Yes. But what I think what we also have that's unique, and I'd like for you to maybe speak to this shortly, is that there's a unique, like, really hope and aspiration and elevation. And I would say not look up to, but kind of look forward to of working with the younger generation. So I think there's this, the energy and the, it moves the direct, moves both ways. It's in the currents, right? Kind of like where like it's a spaghetti, a bowl of spaghetti in a sense. He was saying. Yeah. Um, how does one foster that kind of culture of exchange of a, of ideas and learning and sharing, um, both from veterans to new people and new to, to veterans, vice versa? Or is that just the generic culture in Israeli technology? And we're blessed to be in the heart of that here at Gemcell. I think that in general. Uh... This is, I would say, one of the blessings that come out from the Israeli army. You know, you know that all of us served in the army, and although that if I remember myself like a young soldier when I met a general and I wanted to say something, I just stood and I said what I had to say. Uh, what does it mean? It means, uh, for example, here in Jensel, we have a slogan who said, there's no stupid idea. Right. Everything on the table. And, and I would say this stream of discussion, stream of ideas from, this, uh, from people that you can define them as a leader, experienced leaders on the technology, markets, product, finance, that's okay. But the fact that they can work with the, the, the next generation, the people that most likely in the, ne few ne in the next few years that will replace them, that they, they, they come in with the fresh ideas. This is a blessing. This is pl the place where you see this, this idea flourished. So this idea, people say breakthrough. What does it mean breakthrough? Nobody is, is wake up in the morning and say, okay, I have a breakthrough. It's bullshit. A breakthrough come out from, a, from an open discussion between different people with different, I would say, mindsets. And this is what we are trying to, to adopt in the company. But I said that, that uh, I saw that in all over the industry, most of the companies, this is what's called the open, open doors ability that even if you are a rookie, you can challenge the CEO. And, and most of the times, uh, I saw many, many CEOs that welcome this type of, uh, of approach. And, and when the CEO is, CEO is, is welcome this type of, uh, of approach, it's clearly that the levels uh, below, below him is also welcoming this type of, uh, of approach. And I think that this type of, of an open discussion, throwing idea, there's no stupid idea. There's no such thing like a stupid idea. Everything is welcome. Because if you want to find a breakthrough, you need to put everything on the on the table. Right. 
I, uh, I think that that, uh, that removal of hierarchy is, is very important. Yeah. Um, so the actual technology itself, let's get now deep into what exactly GenCell does. Yeah. How are you able to create no CO2 energy? Yeah. How, explain to me the actual technology, the science into it, because so people can understand it because the people don't hear about hydrogen. Yes. And if you're saying, yeah, this hack might never heard about hydrogen, let alone GenCell. Um, so if you can just speak to the technology and feel free to get as technical as you like. Okay. So basically we are developing three types of, uh, uh, of technology. The first one, we call it hydrogen to power. What does it mean? We, we are using, I would say we are combines between hydrogen and oxygen. Okay. This, I would say, molecules exchange between hydrogen and oxygen that is in the air create energy and water. Simple as that. The water is byproduct. Uh, this is what we call it hydrogen to power. And in that case, the hydrogen, the power or the energy is 100% clean. No emission this is why it's totally green. Okay? But uh, hydrogen itself, it's a gas and it's expensive to transport it from A to B. This is why we elevated this technology we call, to a new technology, we call it ammonia to power. Uh, why ammonia? Ammonia, it's a liquid, it's a chemical that carries a lot of hydrogen. Uh, the, technic, the, the chemical symbol is NH3, one atom of nitrogen, three atoms of, of hydrogen. Okay, and ammonia is the second largest chemical in the world more than 200 million tons produced annually. And the main reasons for that is, the, or the, the main uses for that is agriculture. The, the bread that we are having in the break, in, for breakfast, the cereal, etc. everything is based on, on ammonia. And ammonia, actually, all of our electrical, electronic devices, from this screen to our cell phone and laptops, Ammonia touch it as part of semiconductor process. Plastic, uh, uh, industry, uh, uh, deep refrigerations, and more and more. So basically what we did, we developed a new technology right now that allowed right now to transport the hydrogen in the form of, of ammonia to every corner in the world. And then to extract the hydrogen and the same uh, chemistry process of, uh, of uh, of ion exchange between hydrogen and oxygen, again, creates 100% green energy. But if we want to be honest with ourselves, the way that hydrogen produced today and ammonia, the feedstock is CH4. It carries a lot of carbon. So if we want to offer what we call green FSG, which means this is the ability to create the fuel, store it, and generate the power at the point of use, which means uh, close, circle, close, circles, close circle economies in that case, okay, you need to come with a new technology. This is, this is our third level. We call it water to power. So, so instead of hydrogen or ammonia, our feedstock is only what Mother Nature is giving us. It's water, rainy water. It's air, because in the air we have nitrogen, and sun, renewable. So this technology allows to produce what we call green ammonia at a point of use. Okay, so you've 
green ammonia is something that we has developed here in this building. Yes. In Jensen, right here in Petah Tikva. And using the elements of water, air, and the sun. Yes. How does how long does it take for us to like go from idea, hey, we think let's say on paper on paper, that we think that this might work or well, let's test this to the point that you test it and say, hey, it looks like we're this may work, and then putting it to scale to say this is something that can be brought to scale to market at some point. Like walk us through those challenging or those or those those milestones. Because you know, people just say these things and they're great, but like obviously the amount of work and the amount of mistakes and they're like, damn it, that didn't work, and like it doesn't come up and like walk us through what that's like. Yeah. So it starts from you need to identify the missing part of the equation. Uh, you know, we, we are from 2014, our, let's say our first product was 2014, hydrogen to power. And then we come with our, our ammonia to power. And we knew all the time that this is great, but it's not ultimate. It's not ultimate because the fuel itself, it carries a lot of carbon. So we cannot say that we are a total green solution. It's not true. So we said we are a green solution, but we are not total because the feedstock, it's not. So first of all, you need to realize what is missing. Uh, and, then, and then you need to, to be clever that you have smart people around you say, okay, guys, we need to find a solution for that. And, and, and then it's come incubation of ideas. Well, one of the ideas, uh, let's try to look into what we call green ammonia, how we can synthesize ammonia without CO2 footprint. This is crucial. Uh, uh, and then the moment that you're starting to I would say, explore different ideas, this is, I would say, the starting point. The starting point, and then you need to allocate a few people, small budget for research. And the research. Uh, tell me about how many people, who, who do you decide makes up this team? What's that budget? How long of a timeline, runway do you give them? So basically, on that, on that, on at that moment, it's mainly it's you, it's a product strategy, and the CTO. Okay, and uh, it's not a lot of money. It's a couple of few weeks or months until you have a market study to realize what's going on out there. Because it might be that you believe that in your basement you found the best idea in the world, but maybe hundreds of companies are already working on that. So you right. need to understand what's going on in the market. So, but I would say after this incubation part, when you realize that you have a fair, fair chance to present something to the market because there's nothing out there that can compete with you right now as much that you know, then you founded, I would say, a group of four or five uh, people with, uh, from the CTO group mainly scientists, who say, okay, guys, let's start the research phase. And the research phase, uh, it's a matter of a couple of months until they are coming back with a program. And this program has usually a couple of stages, uh, research, development, uh, proof of concept, uh, and then you are trying to set some KPIs say that, okay, it's, uh, it's meeting the KPI, it's not meeting the KPIs. And I would say the most important is trying to find a partner, partner that with the capabilities, not only to help you to build this solution product, but also with the capability to reflect to you uh, the way that your results looks like outside of the company. Because when you Inside, it's you know everyone is you know, biased. You know you are, you are doing, you are working very hard, and uh, you want that your results will meet the KPIs. So it's very important to find someone that is out there. Uh, I call it usually I call them the co-pilot. You are the pilot, but he's the co-pilot. Mm -hmm. 
So we, in that case, we've been very successful. We, we had a Japanese partner, TDK. It's a great company, really, really great company with great culture that joined us as an investor in the company on this project. And we are working with them for the last three and a half years. So we are already three and a half years in this, uh, in this project, and most likely it will take a few more years until it will be mature to a commercial uh, And it's product. possible once you come there, a competitor may have already have a solution or better and all that, right? Could be. This then, is the risk that you you're... take everything you, that's the risk, and then what can we have learned, and maybe a new technology we can build out of it that isn't yet in market, and that's kind of just how it works, right? Yes, it's a risk that you always take, but I'll tell you something, it's, uh, it's the blue ocean concept. It's right. So when, you, when you're approaching a big problem, maybe, you, maybe in the beginning you, you thought that you can uh, tackle this problem from this angle and eventually you find yourself that you're on a totally different angle. Uh -huh. But the market, it's so big. It's a, the, the, for example, the Green Ammonia project, this is $100 billion market. And the green ammonia, it's a market with a CAGR of 75% annually. This is amazing. I, did, I never ever uh, met an industry with this kind of CAGR, 75%, not 5%, not 10%. So what does it mean? Opportunities out there. And you don't have time to lag behind. You need to run as much that you can, but for, Disruptive technology, it takes time. It's like, you know, how we say that? It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor, pregnancy always will take nine months. Right. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. So you can have a lot of money and you can pour a lot of money. It's still, it's a technology, development technology. There's some, I would say, solid stages that need yeah. to be done properly In the right, if yeah. you want to reach to the market with a product that could benefit that, all, this, all the stakeholders around it. That's what we say about as Martin SEO, search engine optimization. Yes. We had a client once come to us, they were an ads and SEO client, a, a big tech company in Israel, I'll name them years ago. And the CEO, he goes to us, I'll give you a million dollars, I need to get uh, to the, the page one for this keyword. And like uh, organically, obviously for ads, we can be there. We're already there. Yeah. Uh, it's not hard. But I was like, uh, yeah, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> it's like all the money in the world. We can't get you there in the next three years, right? Yeah. At least like just seeing the competitiveness of these keywords on page one. There needs to be some like crazy, crazy. It's money. good to have the money, but still you yeah, have some, like, uh, some steps you, that you, you need to do properly. All the money in the world can't yeah. speed up a pregnancy, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, it was, just, it was a parallel for those that are in marketing. They, they can understand that. Yes. If you really want to buy your way, because that's what advertising is for, but not everyone consumes ads. So what's next for, uh, what's next for GenCell? What should we expect to hear from GenCell um, going forward? I mean, obviously with the new disruption, the new technologies that you're rolling out. And is there anything that maybe we may read in, uh, in the newspaper, no, newspapers, you know what I mean, in the newspapers about the technology that GenCell's working on, but GenCell's name might not be on it, you know, mm. or things like that. How can we kind of get an idea so we can like feel you in the industry? So as a public company, I can share with you only what I can share with you. Okay. But I'll try to give you some kind of an, uh, direction. I think that something's very interesting. One more lesson that I think that it's important to convey might be there's a new founder that wanted to, that's hearing this conversation that is um, that right now in, in his, his second before he's founded his company. Important message. 
you never lose the game. Always, you, always there's a new way. Right. And I'll give you now a good example, and this is, will be a nice segue to what I want to, to introduce. You know, there was a big argue between electrical and hydrogen cars. Who will win? Right. Uh, uh, and eventually, look, we need to look at the numbers. Okay, although I know I'm a hydrogen person, but you know, I'm driving electrical car right now. Right. Simple, simple as that, because there's no hydrogen car for me in Israel. Maybe if I was in Europe or in Japan, it was, it was easier. But since I, we, are, we realized that the car industry is fully dominated right now, maybe for the next two decades, by electrical cars, we say, okay, there's, there's, this is a phenomenon of electrical car with a, with a fantastic growth. But this fantastic growth also challenging the grid because the grid cannot keep up right. these numbers uh, worldwide. This is a right. worldwide story. That's right. So we said to ourselves, okay, if the hydrogen is not in the car or the ammonia, we'll take it outside of the car. Mm. So we are launching right now in North America a solution for fast DC charging, okay, with independent EV charging station. So from it's the not grid. it is pulling from the grid. It's out of, it's it's independent from the grid. Got it. So you bring in it's like a 20-foot container. Right, that's what I was gonna say. You bring in a container, container and then, then it generates it for what grabbing from the air and it's on it, water. It generates it, it generates generating it, generating it power. and you can do a charge in a few minutes. Correct. It's generating power, it stores the power. Okay. And when you come with your car, it can inject you energy by 12 between 12 to 18 minutes, you can you can have your 30 to 50 kilowatt and you can have your hundred mile. When we when can we expect to when will when will we see one of these containers in that will be it's meant to be in Q one. Right now. Yeah, next wow. twenty four, Q one. Hopefully right the first one in California, the second one in Texas. Uh-huh. We are we are there. Is that what I saw outside? Yes. Amazing. Very yes. cool. Yes. That's this is exciting. the direction. So you saw a prototype here. Yeah, it's yeah, already yeah. working, but uh, we already we completely got all the certification. We this is this is a big news. It's a big news because again, remember at the beginning of the discussion we said there's a room for every technology. So here again, this solution it supplement the grid that need to support this phenomenon of electrical cars. And just imagine that you can place it everywhere, anywhere. And, and it's not depends on mother nature, which means no sun, no wind, no grid. You need it, it's there. Amazing. Yeah. This is like the generator of generators. Yeah, so it generates right? generator, a generator ah. zero CO2 emission. Ah, that's a good name, GenCell. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Rami, thank you so much for uh, being on Israel Tech. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Keep up the much. great work. It's amazing what you're doing here and just seeing so many engineers and scientists just walking around. It's a totally different vibe from the other places that we've interviewed. Um, and I can't wait to see um, very soon what, what's going to roll down in California and keep up the good work, uh, keep changing the world and keeping it green. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Thank it was a much. pleasure.